Good. You know, I, don't, I didn't catch the very beginning of service, and so if Winston didn't tell you guys that you guys should get a star for perfect attendance for 2022, um, you're already on track. Like, you guys are getting it 100%. We're proud of you. Uh, actually, I think that you guys know something that the Sunday crew doesn't, and that it's going to get way colder between this service and the next one. And so you guys probably chose wisely. Good job. I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I, I want to talk to you guys today about church. Um, which is some, maybe a, a, almost an odd topic, right? Because we're at church. Like, do we need to talk about it? Like, we're here, right? And so the way I want to start is I just want to tell you a little bit about my church experience. Um, I've actually been a, a member at a lot of different churches in my life. Um, I, I've pretty much gone to church most of my life. And so I've, I've been a member of a church that transformed from a Baptist church into a Pentecostal church while I was there. That was fun, right? Um, I, I've been at a church that was transitioning from its founding pastor that was leaving to the next one. And that wasn't quite as fun. <laughs> that was kind of scary, kind of uncomfortable, right? Like we didn't know what was around the corner. Um, I, I've been at churches that are still fighting over whether or not they should have drums on stage. Um, and in fact, I've been at, I've been at churches um, that are still kind of deciding where they fit in the, in the worship culture, right? There's, there's all sorts of different opinions, and I've been at both ends of that. Um, I've been at churches where it seems like everybody's involved in, in, in making decisions, and then I've been at churches where it feels like nobody knows what's going on. I've been at a lot of different kinds of churches, and I am so glad that I found this one. But how about you guys? Raise your hand if you've ever been a part, if you would have considered yourself a member of any other church than Life Community. Raise your hand. So like everybody, right? Okay. How many of you guys have been, like, like two? Two other churches? More than three? Five? Ten? Okay, this is the point in the marriage seminar where we'd all be clapping for somebody. <laughs> it's just not that same vibe here today, so that's okay, that's okay. But here, here's the thing. There, there's a lot of great churches out there, Right? Uh, in fact, there's a lot of fantastic preachers. Isn't it cool that we live in 2021 and we have access to so much stuff online? 2022, dang it. I practiced that. On Friday, I, pra I said 2021, and every time it was like 2022, and I messed it up anyways. But there are some great things uh, available to us online, right? And so, um, like, I personally, if I ever had a chance to just, like, do a road trip around the country and stop at different churches, I would love to stop at Levi Lesko's church, right? Now, I, I might also want to stop at John MacArthur's church if I was out in California, or, or maybe Elevation Worship. I'd love to be there for their worship service sometime. Maybe Matt Chandler. My, my wife loves Shelly Giglio and the, and the Grove, that they've got this culture of ministering to and loving on women. She wants to visit them, right? Some of you guys have favorites too, right? Like, like some of you guys know who the heroes are in your faith. Like you're like, man, if I could just listen to that guy over and over, that would be amazing, right? Or I would love to visit that church. But I'll bet you also have some villains in mind. Right? There are some, some Christian authors that when you see your friend reading it, you're like, that makes me nervous, right? Like, ooh, you're listening to who? Ooh, ooh, I don't know how comfortable I am, right? And then for some of you guys, like our messages are the only messages that you've ever listened to, and so the last two minutes was a bunch of names you didn't know. I'm glad you're here. You don't know what's out there, so thank you. <laughs> no, but for real, um, 
Most of us have had plenty of, of church experience. Right? Did you see how many hands went up around the room if you looked around? It's everybody. And if, and if not a lot of experience, at least a lot of opinions. Most of us, for the most part, know what makes up a good church, don't we? And, and if we were in charge, we, we kind of know how we would do it. Like, we, we know what we like about church. Today I want to talk about church, but I, I want to get started um, in a sort of a weird way, okay? So stick with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you guys on a thought experiment, okay? And so what I want to do is I'm going to ask you guys a question from ancient philosophy, in fact, it's maybe the oldest question in philosophy. Um, and, and part of the reason that it is so famous is that while it's more than a 2,000-year-old problem or question, nobody agrees on the answer. It goes like this. Theseus and his crew set sail on a ship. They leave port, planning to, to sail around the world. And on board, with their ship, they have all of the other boards and nails and ropes that they would need to repair the ship completely. If anything were to ever go wrong on their voyage, they could fix a board, they could replace a rope, they could rebuild the entire ship with all of the parts that they brought. And so along the way, things happen. A board rots here, they run into a rock here, the sail flies off in the wind, and so they're replacing things along the way so that by the time they come back into port, they have replaced every single part of the ship. Not a single board that left port arrived back at port. Is it the same ship? That's the question. Ooh, is it the same? That's a, you, you, you sit in that for a moment, that's actually kind of a, a good question, right? Because um, it wasn't like at some point they just burned it and rebuilt it, that would feel like a different ship, but Slowly, board by board, nail by nail, as they traveled around the world, it became the same ship or a different ship. See, some people say that it's the exact same ship because it never stopped sailing. It never stopped its mission, right? And some people say, no, it's a new ship. Clearly, it's made up of new parts. So, how many of you guys here would say it's a new ship? And I'm assuming everybody else says it's the same ship. Okay. And then everybody that didn't raise their hands is like, why are we talking about this junk? This is not Jesus. I don't know what I came here for, but it's not this. All right, so what does this have to do with church? Well, let's find out, okay? Um, I, I want you guys to start turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because that's where we're going to spend our time today. But I want to give you a little background, because I don't like jumping into the third chapter of any book. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And so, Paul planted this church, the Corinthian church. Paul is this apostle. He's traveling around the world, talking to people about Jesus, and when he talks to somebody, new, a, a new city about Jesus, and there's suddenly people there that believe they need a church, so he plants churches. And he planted this one. And he stayed for a while, but eventually he had to leave. He's a church planter, so he moved on. And along the way, other people have shown up. This guy Apollos came, and he was talking to him for a while, and he was teaching him things. And then uh, either Peter came, or like some people that knew Peter, Cephas was his, his Greek name, they, they must have shown up, and they were teaching the church some things. And so you'd think that they had all of this great influence, and yet the purpose of the, the Corinthian letters, First and Second Corinthians, is that Paul sees problems in the church. And so he writes to them about their issues. There's something wrong 
with their church. And so while Paul is the founding guy, there's more people involved. And so when we pick up chapter three, we'll see what's going on. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Okay, so he's referring back to when he started the church. When he was first there, he's like, you know, I I realize that I was taking you from from, uh, unbelief in Jesus into something. And so we had to start somewhere, right? And so I gave you milk. I was, I was, um, I gave you the simple stuff. It was basic. It was easy to digest. I didn't want to make it complicated for you. See, my, my boys, they're actually here today. My boys are huge now. Like every time I see them walk in the door, I'm like, duck! They're growing and it's bothering me because I remember when they were babies. Like I remember the baby stage when they're helpless, right, and they need you, like need you, not like, dad, please pay for my video game upgrade. Like, like, like they're not gonna live if you don't give them food, right? Um, they need milk. Isaiah, my oldest, um, I don't know exactly how old he was, I think he was less than a year, Isaiah got mashed potatoes before he was ready for mashed potatoes. Like he was probably supposed to still be getting milk. We might have been trying some things out. And then um, a family member fed him mashed potatoes not knowing he wasn't ready for it. And you should have seen this baby's um, expression as he went through all of the like what in the world is in my mouth kind of feelings. Smacking his face and he's pushing back against his thing. He's spitting stuff out and he even kind of gagged on it. He really wasn't ready for the food. And it screwed him up. Like, he didn't eat mashed potatoes for years after that. And we're like, I promise it's safe. And he's like, ah, <laughs> that stuff almost killed me. Now, that's what he's saying to these guys. He's saying, do you remember when we started? We started with milk, because that's what you need whenever you're getting started. You need it to be simple, to, easy to digest, easy to understand. And so he's probably talking about the gospel. And he said, look, I talked to you guys about who you were that you were far from God, and I talked to you about Jesus, that he didn't want you to be far from God, so he solved the problem. And he probably kept it really simple, milk. But what a sad thing to hear after he says, do you remember that, how you guys needed milk? You still need milk. Imagine the Corinthians reading this. Imagine how you'd feel if somebody came in here and they said, I'm surprised you haven't grown up yet. What a sad thing to hear, because, you know, like, I loved my, ba- my boys being babies, but if at 16 they were still unable to handle mashed potatoes, or they still needed potty training, we'd have an issue, right? Like, I would know something is wrong, because we're supposed to grow up, right? We're not supposed to stay on milk forever. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, when we started, you were on milk, but my problem is that you still need it. You're still worldly is how he puts it. Like, do you, I, I helped you come out of the world, out of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into Jesus, and yet you still act like the world. You haven't grown out of that. It's a good thing he's not talking about any of us though, right? All of us that raised our hands like church people, right? Like, we're good. Like, oh, we've been doing this a long time. I like reading stuff that's not about me, right? Well, let's keep going. 
He just got done saying, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And so here he's actually referring back to something he said in the first chapter. You should read it, chapter 1. But he, he talks about in chapter 1 this problem that people had begun to separate into factions in the church. They had begun to have teams in the church. And somebody's over here like, I'm on team Paul. And this person over here is like, oh, well, I'm on team Apollos. And they had begun to split into these different factions, into these divisions, based on who they were following. And this idea, uh, when it says, I follow Paul, in the Greek, that actually could be, I belong to. I belong to, pa I belong to Paul's team. I belong to Peter's team. In fact, if you were to walk around the city of Corinth, we've, we found ruins that prove that in the temples there are idols and, and statues that are set up and they say on them, I belong to Athena. I belong to Zeus. I think it was actually really common in Greek culture to belong to things. It mattered what you were a part of. Right? In fact, think about all the, the philosophical revolution that came out of Greece. Like, um, I, I belong to Plato's school of philosophy. Well, I like Plutarch and the way he talks, right? And, and people would, would be secondhand important because they were attached to something great. And here, he's saying, you guys have taken that and you've brought it into the church and you're saying, I'm on team Paul or team Whoever, And I think the problem is they misunderstood church because they were making it about the leaders, which means ultimately they were making it about their preferences, right? It's like at some point somebody decided, I really like the way Paul taught. He's my guy. It's about my preferences. Oh, I really like Apollos. And see, here's the problem. Preferences aren't bad. Like, we're all wired to know what we like. We all like stuff, right? Like, I'm really glad we have these chairs and not wooden pews, right? I like that. Preferences aren't a bad thing. But have you ever noticed how easy it is for preferences to easily become allegiances? And we go from, I sure like this, to I'm behind this thing that I like. I support this thing that I like. And preferences become allegiances, and then how easy is it for allegiances to become loyalties? And now we're not just behind something, now we're over here and we're saying, this is the only way, this is the best, those guys are wrong, they're not as good. How easy is it to take something good like a preference and have it turn into a problem? And here's the problem, if you go from preferences to loyalties, what are their loyalties to? To Jesus and Paul. These Christians, Jesus and Peter and Apollos. And here's the problem, that's not how Christianity is supposed to work. It's not Jesus and anything. Right? And so the problem is they would sit there and they, you know, I can imagine, I can feel for them, right? I can imagine somebody's there like, I love it whenever Paul is in town. He was here when it started. He knows me. He was the one who, like, he built that wall over there. I just feel connected to him. 
right? I, I grew up with that one pastor at my last church in Denver, and the way that he talks is just the only way that I've ever really enjoyed church. Or maybe Apollos. I've heard Apollos was a great speaker, really eloquent, really well-spoken, right? And so somebody shows up, or, and they hear Apollos, and they're like, man, every time he talks, it's like he's just inside me. How does he know what I'm thinking? How does, he, how does he articulate my thoughts for me? I love it whenever I hear the, uh, Stephen Furtick on, on the you know, radio or, or Matt Chandler or somebody, and I'm like, how does he get me like that? It's my favorite. Or Peter. Whenever Peter would come into town, like, he knew Jesus. How cool would that be to have one of the 12 walk in and be like, all right, here's the backstory." Right? And I love it whenever I learn something at church, something I didn't know, something that surprised me. See, we do it too. I think it was easy for them, and I'm not sure it's hard for us. How many of us have preferences that have become loyalties? Like, how many times do we hear, like, I'm a Baptist, I grew up Baptist, and somebody over here is like, I've never been anywhere but a vineyard church, vineyard, vineyard, vineyard. Okay, the most annoying places I've ever been are vineyard conferences, because it's like, I don't even know what the word means sometimes, and everybody's got this idea that I'm attached to something, right? Or, Or maybe we just, we prefer Tim's teaching, Right? Like, I'm sure some of you guys are like, if I'd have known the youth pastor was going to be preaching today, I might not have came out in the snow. Let me give you guys just a little quick tip, okay? You and I see long three-day holiday weekends differently, okay? Just if you're ever looking at a calendar, you want a heads up, just, just a heads up, okay? But seriously, we, we pick authors, we pick denominations, we pick teachers or worship brands. Like, some of us are into Bethel and some of us think Bethel's bad, like... We have preferences, and the problem is how easily they become loyalties. And see, here's the problem. The evidence that they were immature, according to Paul, wasn't that they had a lack of knowledge or experience. It was that they had begun to faction and divide over their preferences. So how mature are we? How how good are we doing at sticking together Or how easy is it for us to pull apart over the things that we like or that we're attached to? And so he goes on, verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I think Paul looks at this church and they're squabbling and they're fighting over things and he's saying, you're thinking about us all wrong. There's this pastor, uh, his name's Larry Osborne, and I don't know if he's the first one who said this, but he's where I heard about the holy man myth. You guys know that myth because the reality is that whenever we have something wrong in our life and we really need somebody to pray for us, we think of the pastor or our Sunday school teacher, somebody in the faith who is special somehow, right? It's actually really common, and and I, I want you guys to hear me. I love praying with you guys. Come to me. I would love to pray with you. And, and Tim and Winston, we, we are all about that. But we are not the only people who have a connection to Jesus Christ. 
right? You all do. And he's saying, you guys are thinking about us all wrong, like we're something special. And did you notice he says, neither the one who, who plants or waters is anything. He's saying, we're nobodies. And they're over here on Team Apollos or Team Vineyard or Team Tim. As if that person or that thing or that movement is something great. And he's saying, look, compared to what is actually great, we're nothing. And see, we, we think of churches, we've, we've allowed this, okay? Um, let me be really clear. This is not on you guys. This is on us. Big C Church, American Church. We have gotten to the point that we think of churches as a brand, Right? Like, we literally have mugs out in the lobby with our brand on it, right? We want you to take home the pen and the cup that say Life Community Church on it. We think of churches as a, as a brand. Like, I go to Life Community Church. We want that to stick. Or we think of it as a, as a building, right? Like, oh, I go to that one church up in the Redlands. It's, over the, it's on Broadway. It's kind of by the houses. I go to that church. That building is where I go to church. Or we think of church as like a pastor's following, right? I don't know how many times I'll, I'll be out in, in public and I'll bump into somebody that goes to another church and they start talking to me about it and I say I go to Life Community and he goes, oh, I hear that you pastors are doing a great job up there. That makes me uncomfortable, right? Because it's as if the church is somehow built around the staff and the pastors. And see, it's a subtle thing. Our preferences become allegiances, become loyalties. See, here's my fear. My fear is that all the things that we do to make you like this church would actually take your eyes off of Jesus because your eyes are on the church for some reason, right? We want you to want to be here. We're glad that you're here. We are very purposeful about some stuff that make it comfortable for you, to make it um, a place where you could connect. It's on purpose. We want you to like it, but we don't want you to like it as much as you like Jesus. We don't want it to get in the way of Jesus Christ in your life. The way that Apollos and Paul had gotten in the way of how they did church. See, compared to God, these things are nothing, right? It's not about a building. It's not about an affiliation or a pastor. It's about God. And it's about you. All of you, actually. Let's, let's keep going. In verse 8, he says, The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Notice how he organized that? He said, we work for God. Like, we're hired hands that work for God. We're the ones that are plucking and working on the field. We're pruning the vines. But you're the vineyard. You're where God is actually focusing. You're the field. God's not focused on who's working in the field. He's focused on the field itself. Have, have you guys ever visited one of the wineries out in Palisade? Man, I love some of the behind-the-scenes stuff when I go to places like that. Like, you go to a winery, and part of the cool part is being able to, like, you, you see behind the doors, and you see that there's all these people milling around back there, and there's these giant stainless steel tanks, and they're doing the thing that turns grapes into wine. And then you go out in the field, if they ever let you walk around, and, and there's people out there, like, making sure that the vines are healthy and that they're growing. And 
It's cool to see all of that, right? But ultimately, you don't care if the guy's name was Phil or Jose or Jim or you care about the quality of the wine in the bottle. And see, I think when God looks at our church, he isn't focused on Tim and I and Winston and the children's ministry staff. I think he's focused on you. I think that when God sees life community, he's looking at you. And really, I think that what he's interested in is the quality of the grapes. He's worried about the quality of your heart, the condition of your soul. He's looking at things like, how well are you doing loving that frustrating guy on the job site? How well are you, are, are you willing to say that you're wrong when you get in a fight with your family? Because that's what Jesus calls you to do, right? Are you in love with him and his word? Are some of your favorite people his people? Right? I think that when he looks at our church, those are the questions he's asking, not who's preaching this weekend, right? Did they get service started on time? Because that's part of the deal, right? They gotta like, see if you weren't here, there'd be no church. You realize that, right? If you weren't here, there wouldn't be a church. And so I, I think that church has allowed something, and I just need to apologize on behalf of the Big C Church and this church. See, we've kind of created or we've allowed this system where we think about church as good or bad. I like it. I don't like it. And it's like the church is over here, and I'm over here. And then maybe once or twice a week, like I go over here and I get something from the church. I get um, refreshed. I get, I feel good. I have the tingles whenever we do worship together, right? Whatever it is. Somebody prays with me whenever I'm down. And then I go back over here. And then sometimes I go over here and, and I give and I, I contribute to, to what's going on. I serve a little bit. Maybe I, I donate. But then I go back over here. And I either like it or I don't like it. And the reality is that I could just find another one over there because I'm over here and it's not me. See, going to services and giving and liking the church, those are all good things, but the mentality that the church and I are separate is what's wrong. God would say, you're thinking about church all wrong. You don't go to church you don't belong to a church. You are the church. You are the church. We, together, are the church. And so if we were going to read, if we had our, our paper Bibles open and we were just going to keep reading, there's a few verses that I'm going to skip really quickly, and I'm just going to give you a quick heads up. Paul has this great illustration where he talks about building on a foundation. And as long as that foundation is Jesus, then you are guaranteed entrance into heaven. But what you build with really matters. Because you could build with quality materials, or you could build with hay and stubble, but there's going to be a point when the fiery judgment of God looks at that and consumes everything that's not valuable. But the point of what he says in there is that it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And then we get down to verse 16, where I think the weight of the chapter is. Verse 16 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. 
So I, I, because I think this is really important, I like geeked out on the words. So I'm just gonna share with you guys what I learned because I love sometimes the words matter and the study matters. And so um, I actually don't know how to say any of the Greek words, so I'm gonna skip that part. I'm just gonna go to what they mean. I hope that's okay. Like I live in the real world, you're not gonna remember the Greek word except for baklava. I heard that one the other day when Tim was up here. Okay, um, did anybody get in baklava? Because if you didn't, everybody should get in baklava, okay? In like a week, just, okay. <laughs> Greek words that are in this passage that I think are important. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That word temple could easily be translated or more uh, appropriately be the holy of holies. And so if you know anything about the temple, the Old Testament temple, where um, God was on earth, where God could be found, where God could interact with people, with us, was at the temple. But the temple had layers. And so the outside layers were designed to keep out the, the Gentiles. And then the inside layers got progressively harder and harder to get into because where, where God actually was was so holy and so precious that only a few people could really ever go in there. That's where God was. And so this idea of the temple, that's where you would find God. It's the full expression of God on earth where he could be enjoyed and he could be worshipped. And you see, it actually goes all the way back to Eden. Like, all the way in, in the garden, when God started this world, he had every intention of being with people. He had every intention of this being us, him and us. But we were only three chapters into the story and we screwed it up, right? We broke that problem. We couldn't be with God. And so throughout scripture, we see him trying to, to work to get back to something like Eden. And so the first version of that is like the, the holy mountains where Moses interacts with God. And then we see the tabernacle and eventually we see the temple. And it's God working to be with his people. And what he's saying here is, don't you know that you guys, like Christians, you put your faith in Jesus, don't you know that you guys are God's temple? And the you is plural in the Greek. When he says that you yourselves are God's temple, that's plural. That y'all, you guys together. Man, if we were in Texas, that would have been normal. That felt so weird. That you guys together are God's temple. So when we're together, that's what he's saying. When we're together, where we are the place where God can be found. We're the place where God is experienced and seen. We're the place where God can be worshipped and enjoyed. Just like Eden whenever it was right, and just like all the things along the way that pointed back to Eden, we are God's temple when we're together. And it doesn't necessarily mean when we're physically together. I think the whole point of this passage is talking about unity. When we're together you know what I mean? Like we're on the same page. Like we mean the same things. We have the same mission, the same goals. We're the temple of God. And then he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Take a deep breath. Because that's a little scary, right? The word destroy actually means diminish or to ruin or to spoil something. Like to ruin it. To, to make it not as good. And so what he's saying here is, if you do things that actually hurt the unity of my people, I'm against you because you're against my temple. You're hurting 
the mission. You're hurting the, the, the value, the importance of the unity, the people together. And so if that's you, then God is against you. That is a scary thing to read. Why would God be so serious about the way that you treat the church? Because Jesus is madly in love with his bride. He died for you. He died for us. He died for the church. And, and it's important that we are all together in that. And so of all the things that you could do that might really offend God, picking on his bride is probably really high on the list. All right, so do you guys remember at the beginning the Theseus' ship thing, right? The, the boards and the, is it the same ship or not? The way I see it, that ship and the church are very similar. I think each of you are a part of the ship. You're a plank. You're a nail. You're one of the ropes. And together, fitted together, joined together, when we're so tight that it's waterproof, we're God's ship. And it set sail 2,000 years ago with a mission. It sets sail into the waters of the world to find lost people that are drowning in the waves, that need Jesus Christ. People all around the world are still drowning 2,000 years later, but the ship is still sailing. See, our mission, our, our ship, this church, is to take God to the people. That was the biggest problem with the temple. It was in one place and the people had to go to it. And so he's saying, now, now that we have Jesus, we're the temple, but we don't have to stay in one spot. We can go to them. People don't have to go to the temple anymore. We can take the temple to them. We can take the church to them, right? And so I think God looks at the ship and he sees its value because he sees its mission. I think that God looks at the church and over the years and the decades and the centuries, the boards have all gotten replaced, right? Paul is dead now. Apollos is in heaven with Jesus. The people 150 years ago are all gone. New boards have been attached over the years. But the ship keeps going. So my argument for Theseus's problem is that it's the same ship because it has the same mission. Right? And so none of the original parts of the church are still here. And yet Jesus loves this church as much as he loved that church because it's all one long voyage. God sees the ship and its mission. And so even though we're new, God sees us the way that he sees these guys. And we, while God sees the mission, God sees the value because of what we're doing, we like to look at the ship hands that are mopping the deck and that are repairing the boards, the guys that are taking the sails up and down, and we go, ooh, I like that guy. This guy working on the ship over here, he's my favorite worker, right? I sure like it whenever John MacArthur is on the mic. Like, I would go see that anytime. He's the best floor mopper I have ever seen. I don't want to be on the part of the ship he's not working on. Can I change to the part of the ship he works on? Oh, I don't, I, I, there's this new church across town. I kind of think that that's the bow of the ship right now. I'd really like to see some sunshine. Maybe I'll just 
move over there. Or maybe it's just a different part of the ship in general. Maybe we're like, I'm just tired of being in the back. I don't, I don't like being the rudder. Can I do anything else? I wanna be up front. And the problem is that we're the boards and the nails. And so what happens when you're on a ship and a board comes loose? Water comes in. Daylight comes in. The rain can get in. There's a problem every time that the boards decide, I don't want to be next to you right now. Every time that we splinter and faction, every time that we decide that my preferences are so important to me that I don't actually want to be near this anymore, I'd rather be over here, there's a hole in the ship. And God can work with holes. He can put stuff back together. He can patch up the ship. But I don't think that's how he wants the boards acting. And so here's back to this idea that our preferences turn into allegiances, turn into loyalties. And then we get to the point that we're willing to separate and divide. And sometimes that happens on a big scale, right? Like I don't know if you've ever seen a family tree of Christianity. (laughs) Like Catholics go this way and everybody else is over here and it starts out simple and then like... Tree branches everywhere. Stuff is like, I don't even know how we're all connected to each other, but I know we don't get along, right? There's, there are like five churches between here and First and Grand on one road, right? It's so easy to see the splitting on a big scale, but it happens on a small scale too, doesn't it? Doesn't it happen whenever um, we've got, there's this person at church that I would just rather not see so I'll make a point to go to the other service so I don't have to see them. Or I really don't like the way that that person does their ministry, so I'm just never gonna go to that. I know I'm supposed to, it's not my thing, right? Boy, if I'd have known the youth pastor was up, right? (laughs) There's lots of things, I'm not, yeah, seriously. No, seriously, you guys should all be here when I preach. All right, Let's, let's keep going because the way that he wraps this chapter up is awesome. Okay, verse 18, don't or do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise, so that you be actually wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. See, the world, the world that we live in is full of factions, isn't it? It's full of groups. It's full of people that don't agree. Political parties or who knows what, right? Like we have so many great reasons to separate. And then our society is also built on being better, on getting better, on getting the next best thing. Oh, I love the idea of graduating into a full-size SUV. I'm so tired of driving around this front-wheel drive car, right? Or whatever whatever it is, we want to upgrade to find what's best for me, to find what suits me best. That's the world that we live in. And so what he's saying here is just because you're good at that system doesn't make you wise. God looks at that and he says, if you bring that into the church, that is foolishness. That you're constantly looking to attach yourself to whatever's better, to get the best thing that's possible for you. You're willing to uproot yourself, disconnect from people to do it. That is foolishness. And it really points out the upside-down kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before or not, but it seems like everything that Jesus set up is backwards. 
from the whole rest of the world, right? You want to lead people? Serve them. You want to do well in this kingdom? Put everybody else's needs in front of yours. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, decided to come and wash Judas's feet the night that he sent him off to betray him. It's upside down. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you realize that the unity of the boards matters a whole lot, right? And all throughout Paul's letters, he's talking about unity and love, right? So that doesn't mean that we can't be discerning. I want you guys to hear me. It matters that you know your theology. It matters that like you hear something, you go, I don't think that's right. It matters, or or it doesn't mean uh, that we don't have preferences. Please come here because you like it and not because you have to, right? It's okay that we have preferences. It's okay that we're discerning, but we fight for unity above our preferences, above the things that we would argue about. Are we fighting for unity? And so then he finishes like this, verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And so he says, you guys are, you guys are boasting about human leaders, and you're saying, I belong to Paul. I belong to Vineyard. I belong to Life Community Church. And he's saying, you don't belong to anything. They belong to you. So he says, all things are yours. They are for you. You are not for them. That's what he's saying here. God would use all these different things in your life to mature you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But we stand here and we're like, well, I'm on team Apollos, and we never hear what Paul is saying. I'm on team Paul, and the people in Apollos' team need help, and I'm like, well, I don't help those guys. They're not on my team. God would use all these things, just like in Romans 8, where it says God will use all things for the good of those who love him, right? That it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It doesn't matter if it's life or death. God would use that. And so we come back to the question we had at the beginning of the chapter about maturity. See, we think maturity looks like when we get everything figured out, when we know more and more, and we're as right as possible, That's Christian maturity, right? I've been doing this for 25 years. Like, I can quote, fill in the blank. If growing in those things causes you to so narrow your perspective of the church, Paul might say, that's not maturity. Look at you're so focused on just these small things. See, maturity is actually being able to see all things as something that God can use for your good and for his glory. It's being able to chew up the meat and spit out the bones, right? It's, it's, the, it's the maturity on your part to be able to say, I see exactly what God would use in this horrible situation in my life. That's maturity, not knowing more or attending more conferences. And so all this boils down to us seeing the church differently. See, it's not something that we participate in. It's not something we go to or that we belong to. It's us together. And so if it really matters how we treat the church, let me ask just a couple questions. Are, Are we quick to leave when we're not happy? Do we talk about leaders behind their backs? Do we promote our favorite ideas or our people at the expense of other people and other ideas? 
What am I doing that might be causing division? And listen, we all have a story, right? And some of us came here because we were hurt at another church. And that's real. If you're here because you were hurt at another church, um, I've been hurt at another church. Like Christy and I, uh, we, were, we were at another church where I was supposed to be an, an intern and they were supposed to teach me, they were supposed to pour into me and, and after my internship was up, they had basically just used us for what we could contribute to the church but then they were judging us behind the scenes and saying nasty things about us to everybody else. And that hurt. Church hurt is a real thing. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I hurt somebody this week and I'm still trying to figure out how to mend it. Some of you guys left because you were hurt. Some of you left another church because they were teaching heresy and you couldn't handle it anymore, right? But most of us ended up here because we like it. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, I'm not even really worried about how you got here, but what if we started thinking about church differently going forward? What if instead of trying to bring people to church, we were trying to bring the church to people? What if instead of belonging to life community, you thought of yourself as life community, belonging to God? And so if we are the church, I want to I put this point up. You don't go to church. You bring church to the building when you come. And so if we are the church, there's a couple of things I think that we could work on as we leave. One of them is this. Could you ask yourself, how could I be a better board on this ship? Is there a problem with somebody at church that I'm just avoiding? There's some things unsaid that I need to deal with so that we could be glued back together. Am I bitter about being hurt, but it's been a while and I'm just not really interested in re-engaging? Am I resentful because of my place on the boat? And so I don't even like where I'm at. What if we identified those areas and we stopped because the unity of the boards is what keeps the ship afloat and on mission? And what if twice this week, before you come back into the building, we be the church? Out there. Not here, not at this location, not under this brand. What if we got together with some other Christians just to pray and to study and love on each other and work on gluing ourselves closer to them, right? What if we found drowning people who need to know about Jesus and we actually took them the gospel of Jesus Christ and we were on mission? Right? What if two times before you ever even came back in the church building, you were the church? I think that would help us have our mindset right. Because you don't go to church. You bring the church to the building when you come. I'm going to pray over you real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for an opportunity for your church to be here. Not for us to do church. I pray for the unity of this group, that people would grow closer and closer to each other and that the, the places that we push other people away because of our preferences would come to mind and that we would work on healing the boat so that we could be better and faster in the water at getting to the lost people that are drowning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the church may leave the building.